Philippians 3, 12 to 16, <laughs> the title, Sanctification 101, Pressing On Toward the Perfect. Here's the big idea. We press on to obtain perfection because Christ has obtained us. We press on to obtain perfection because Christ has obtained us. To what might we compare salvation? Theologians have historically talked about salvation as the believer is saved, is being saved, and will be saved. And again, we could say justification, sanctification, and glorification, right? Justification happens when we trust in Jesus, his perfect life, death, and resurrection. We are declared right before a holy God, not because of anything we've done, but because of what he's done and our trust in him. Sanctification is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the people of God, through the Word of God, whereby we are graciously being made more like Christ in the way we think, in the way we live. And of course, glorification refers to that final day when we will know Christ fully and be conformed to Him fully. We'll have resurrection bodies in the new heaven and new earth. Amen? We long for that day. So to what might we compare salvation? Uh, I want to focus on sanctification today because that is uh, at the heart of our text. I think of my first date with my wife, Haley. And sweetie, I don't mean to embarrass you. On my first date with Haley, I was captivated. I was arrested. Not like by the police. That would not be a good first date. I wanted to pursue her because I saw in her the culmination of everything I had desired in a godly woman. I'd been won over, and I was now bent on pursuing her. And I probably said one of the most disarming things she'd ever been told on our second date. I said, Haley, I am committed to pursuing you toward marriage. Second date, guys, I don't know if that's a good idea. (laughs) Just felt right. I went with it, and I thought, wow, I just, you ever said something like, <clears throat> did I really just say that? I said it, wasn't planning on saying it, and her response, thankfully, was, well, I'm committed to being pursued by you, sweet. <clears throat> How much more for Christ? Paul was arrested by Christ, his beauty, his glory, his majesty on the road to Damascus, and he could do nothing else but pursue him, his Lord and King. Matthew Harmon notes, the picture of our text, Philippians 3, 12 to 16, is of Christ pursuing and overtaking the sinner who is running away from him, making him his own, and then leading him in a new direction to pursue the final goal of perfection. So, in Philippians 3, 1 to 16, Paul provides us with two of the most important Christian doctrines. Justification, that was last week, and sanctification. And these doctrines answer two very important questions. What are they? Number one, how does one get right with God? The most important question one could ever ask, how does one get right with God? How does God save us? Number two, why does God save us? 
toward what end or goal? So again, how does one get right with God? And then why does God save us? Now that we're right, what now? (laughs) So again, maybe think of it this way. What makes sinners right with God? And what should the righteous now be doing? So in verses 4 to 11, that was last week, we had justification. This week, verses 12 to 16, we have sanctification. So let's quickly define our terms, but hear me, both are the work of God. Both are grace. Amen? Now, we typically just apply grace to the first. Oh, but there is so much grace in this ongoing work of sanctification. Could we do it in our own strength? No. R.C. Sproul writes, justification is a legal pronouncement made by God. It's a declaration, okay? So justification, think of it this way, it is a divine declaration. In other words, he writes, justification can occur only when God, who is himself just, becomes the justifier by decreeing something or someone to be just in his sight. So to be justified is to be declared right in the sight of God. Got it? If you got it, say, I got it. Good. The question remains, though, by what means are sinners declared right before God? How does this take place? Okay, so justification is being declared right before God, but what makes us right before God? Sproul continues, the only instrumental cause of justification is, come on, faith. As soon as people take hold of Christ by faith, the merit of Christ is transferred to them, end quote. So through Christ's perfect life and sacrificial death, so hold those two up, his perfect life and his sacrificial death, Both God's righteous requirement and wrath against sin are satisfied. Amen? So through his perfect life, through his sacrificial death, God's righteous requirement and his wrath against sin are satisfied. Christ took our guilt and punishment at the cross. We call this the wages of our sin And we get his what? Righteousness imputed or transferred to us. This is called the great exchange. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are only right if we're in Christ. Amen? And I I mentioned this quote last week. I heard a pastor say this. I can't remember who said it. It wasn't me, so I can't take credit for it. But he said... Christ was treated the way we deserve to be treated at the cross so that we could be treated the way he deserved to be treated. What then is sanctification? So again, justification is that what? Legal declaration from God. You are righteous. Why? Because you have trusted in who? Jesus, who satisfied the righteous requirement through his perfect life and the wrath of God against human sinfulness. What then is sanctification? Sanctification, according to Sproul, is the necessary and inevitable consequence of justification. 
Whereas justification refers to a definite or definitive act, you are declared right before God, okay? Sanctification is an ongoing process. So think of it this way. Justification happens once. You are declared right before God. Sanctification is ongoing. But the process begins at regeneration. Spiritually dead sinners cannot trust in Jesus. It's true. The dead can do nothing, let alone pursue him in holiness. The Spirit of God is graciously given to regenerate, and that word simply means make spiritually alive dead sinners to repent of sin and embrace Jesus in faith. And the same Spirit, now don't forget this, don't miss this, the same Spirit that makes us alive to embrace Christ continues to work in us, making us more like Christ. I thought this would be an easy way for us to remember it, so if you want to write this down, you can. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, in the context of the people of God, makes us more like the Son of God. One more time. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, in the context of the people of God, makes us more like the Son of God. And that is, what is it? Say it again. That's sanctification, Cody. Good. The believer has new power and new desires by the Spirit to put to death the deeds and desires of the flesh and to pursue Christ in his ways. Uh, Two helpful passages in Philippians for justification. This is from last week, Philippians 3.9. Paul says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from who? God. That depends on what? Faith. That's justification. Amen? As we saw last week, justification is from God and through faith in Christ. Grace upon grace. That's grace all up in your face. There's so much grace in this passage, it's overwhelming. Sanctification. Philippians 2 12 to 13. So let's go back a few weeks. One of my favorite passages. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work it out. Work out what? Your salvation. Paul's saying, get on with it. Live as saved people do, with fear and trembling. How? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Sanctification as well is from the from the Lord. It's his doing. It's from him and for him, according to Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Now, listen, if you get nothing else this morning, get this. Everybody perked up. <laughs> we are not saved by our sanctification, but for our sanctification. Okay? We're saved by faith in Christ. That's justification. We can't confuse these. So again, we are not saved by our sanctification, but for our sanctification. We are not justified by our efforts. We, we, we go, we res- I don't know why, but we go back to that so often. We look at our track record thinking if I do enough, then I can earn God's favor. No, 
It is through Christ alone that we are justified. We are justified by faith in Christ. We get it, Chris, but do we? Do we? His righteousness received by faith is our only hope. Amen? Again, when asked how we know we're saved, we typically point to our life rather than his life. And that is a gross mistake. How do you know? I mean, how, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? Well, I mean, I, I was at church this Sunday, and I read my Bible five days this week, and I, I prayed a lot, and I even served in Awana on Wednesday. No! Sorry. But I'm, not, I'm not sorry, actually. I just, I'm sorry if that was too loud. But seriously, like, that's wrong. How do you know you're saved? How, you know, how do you know that... When you stand before God, he's going to say, come in, you're mine. Simple answer, I've trusted in Jesus. I've trusted in Jesus. I can do nothing. I bring nothing to the table of salvation. I add nothing to it. I am a broken sinner that by grace have trusted in Jesus, his perfect life, death, and resurrection for right standing with God. And that's it. Amen? I mean, I love what Luther said. I mean, Luther said... We're saved by faith alone, but true faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by works. But we don't look to those works for our confidence and assurance. We look to his work. Don't look to our works. Don't look to my work. Look to his work. Amen? We agree? Because God's word says it, so we say yes, amen. Sanctification for many represents the believer's attempt to slog it out for God, right? To to work tirelessly at personal holiness. It often feels like an uphill battle. Some may reason that justification is God's doing, it's all grace, and sanctification is our doing, it's up to us. This is simply not the case. Justification is from the Lord, and so is sanctification. God's grace is revealed in both. All right, I have four points this morning. Let's get started. What is God teaching us in today's passage? Number one, we have the call. What is the call? Press on toward the perfect. That is the call, friends. We are to press on toward the perfect. Verses 12 to 14, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And this next phrase is the key phrase, the key verse in this entire passage, because... Christ Jesus has made me his own. Oh, man. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is Paul, this is a really important question, a lot of pressing on happening here, a lot of moving forward, a lot of straining, a lot of getting after it, but what is Paul getting after? What is he pursuing? What is he straining toward? How does context help us here? Let's just go back to the first verse before our passage, verse 11. Paul says that by any means possible, I may attain what? The resurrection of from the dead. Paul is pressing on toward resurrection, the great final hope of the believer. 
what does the resurrection, the future resurrection, represent for the follower of Jesus Christ? We get a glimpse of this in multiple places in the Bible. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. I want us to look at 1 John 3, 2. John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. The resurrection is, and I love preaching on the resurrection, okay? I do. The resurrection is the climax of redemptive history. It represents our glorification. I'm not talking about Christ's resurrection. I'm talking about our future bodily resurrection, okay? That's the end of the story, amen? A new body. But it's more than that. Again, this represents the grand culmination of God's redemptive work through Jesus Christ, which includes resurrection bodies. Somebody say, yes, sir. Amen, right? I mean, resurrection bodies, we could stop there, but it also includes a new heaven and a new earth, spiritual and moral perfection. I can't imagine no more sinful thoughts, no more spiritual laziness. We will know Christ fully. Oh, and eternal, face-to-face communion with our King forever. How long? Forever. So think when you hear this, okay, so what is Paul pursuing, right? He's, he's pushing forward to this resurrection, this final state. But what, what comes with that? Think this, full conformity to Christ, whereby our thoughts and actions will be totally aligned with His. Amen? Now, we have hints of this already in previous verses. Philippians 3, 8 to 11, Paul speaks of gaining Christ and knowing Christ. This was his singular pursuit. We often talk about the already but not yet. Paul could say in a very real sense, just as we can as well today, that he had gained Christ and knew Christ. Have you gained Christ? Do you know Christ? And yet there's more to be had, right? Steve Lawson writes, the goal for Paul is the full knowledge of Christ and full likeness to him. Perfect conformity to Christ. This is what Paul was striving for even in the present. And I love that Paul uses athletic imagery. The verb to press on in verse 12 denotes the image of a runner moving quickly towards the finish line. He uses the verb dioko. It's an easy Greek word to remember, dioko. And he uses it in the present tense. Let me just tell you this. The present tense dominates this passage. Because again, what is sanctification? It is, it's ongoing, right? It's ongoing. So Paul uses this word dioko in the present tense, which denotes ongoing action. The verb itself means to move quickly and energetically towards some objective. Such language is commonly applied to the believer's sanctification. And I have a simple question. Does this describe you today? Are you moving energetically toward the finish line? Are you running hard after Christ? Do you have this singular focus to know Christ fully and to be fully conformed to him? Well, I don't know. Do you know? Is that you? In verse 13, Paul speaks of 
straining forward to what lies ahead. <clears throat> I have kind of a gross illustration in a minute. Just bear with me, okay? If you have a weak stomach, maybe just do that. I don't, I don't think anybody's going to throw up. But anyways, <clears throat> what are you going to say? In verse 13, again, <clears throat> Paul speaks of straining forward to what lies ahead. And he uses the verb. This is a tough one. Apectonomai. <laughs> That's a long verb. Apectonomai. Again, what tense? Present tense, ongoing action. This is what the verb means, okay? To reach out or to stretch forward to some goal. As one scholar writes, it means to exert oneself to the uttermost. Does that describe your Christian life? To exert yourself to the uttermost. I would say sanctification is not for the faint of heart, but it is for the new of heart. Amen? Not for the faint of heart, but it is for the new of heart. All right, here's the illustration. So ask my wife, am I competitive? I have a switch. Sometimes I don't turn it on. But if I do, you better watch out. I'm, it's weird, man. Like, I, I can be, I can play a game. I can be a part of this, you know, group activity. And I can just hang out, have fun. But if the switch gets turned on, whoa. So... I was in Albania. <clears throat> we, uh, I think I told you this last week, we took uh, high school and college students every year to Albania for a couple of weeks to do a mission trip. And the, the missionary family that we worked with, they would put on this amazing race. And it was just a way to build relationships with the Albanian kids, for our kids to kind of build relationships and have fun the first day. And so imagine you have like 20 American kids running through this city doing crazy things. And that day, I turned on the switch. And I said, guys, we got to win this thing. And so, you know, I had some kids on my team that weren't very athletic. And so what did I do? I would carry them through the city. I don't even know how I did it. Some of these kids were as bigger, bigger than me. But, like, I wanted to win. And so I would put them on my shoulder. And I'm just yelling, let's go. And I'm just flying through the city. And there was this one challenge. It was an eating challenge. And I love food. But, man, sheep brain? The whole thing. None of the kids on my team would touch it. This is what I was warning you about. None of the kids on my team would touch it. I didn't hesitate. I just ate that thing. The whole thing by myself. Where to now? And we just took off, and I got like five kids on my shoulders running through the city. It was crazy. We didn't win, by the way. <laughs> but I strained, I pushed ahead, and I pressed on. We do this for far less valuable prizes and rewards. And Paul gets at this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 25. He writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Are you running in this manner, with joy, passion, and drive, and with the believer's future hope ever before you. What else do we learn about sanctification in our passage? Number two, Paul gives us a necessary reminder. And here it is. Resurrection perfection is not attainable now. Okay? It's not attainable now. Verses 12 and 13 
Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, again, if you weren't listening, Paul, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, the perfection of our salvation, total conformity to Christ in a resurrection body will not happen this side of glory. Paul knows what lies ahead, and he has complete confidence in God's promised future, and yet he knows that this future is not attainable now. Now, this almost, this almost makes the call seem superfluous, but it shouldn't. Why not? Think of an athlete. Do they ever stop training? Do they ever stop trying to get better? Imagine an athlete saying, all right, guys, guys, I've arrived. What? No more practice for me. I'll show up for the games, but hey, no more weight room. I'm there. I've arrived. Get out of here, bro. Come on. Get, get me. We would laugh at that, right? Are you serious? As we just saw, the world runs for a prize that will fade away. Our prize, our inheritance will last how long? Forever. Forever. So even though we will not know Christ fully, nor fully be conformed to his image in this life, we can know him more and be more conformed to his image now. Think of it this way. When it comes to our spouses, none of us can say that we've arrived. Now, husbands, be careful here. All right? Don't, like, don't be silly right now. When it comes to loving Haley, I will never arrive at the point of perfectly loving her. Right? However, it is my prayer, it is my hope, my goal to grow in my affections for her daily, to love her more and to know her more. I've, I think I've shared this illustration by Vodi Bauckham. I've I've heard him say this, and I thought it was brilliant. He said, you know, when I got married, my goal was to get a bachelor's degree in my wife. I wanted to know her more and more. And he goes, well, I got that bachelor's degree. Now I'm going for a master's degree. I want to grow in my knowledge of my wife. And one day I hope to get a doctorate. And this is how we must approach the Christian life. Always wanting to know and love our Savior more. Never being satisfied, never saying, I've arrived. I mean, how foolish if me or Dave or Aaron or Paul walked and said, hey, church, guess what? We've arrived. Well, of course you're here. No, 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 no. Spiritually, we've arrived. We're there. You guys would form tackle us off the stage. At least I hope you would. Like, take me out. This reminder will help to prevent spiritual despair and spiritual pride. It will help us to remember that our right standing with God comes not through our efforts. Again, if we could attain perfection now, how disappointed would we be? It would just be like this never-ending battle. If it was all up to us and our efforts and our track record, I would say woe unto us, but it's not. It's according to whose track record? What makes us right with God? It's our trust in Christ and his perfect life, sacrificial death, and glorious resurrection. We aren't saved by our sanctification. We're saved 
for it. But how do we get there? By what means do we grow and mature as believers? How are we conformed more and more to our Savior, Jesus Christ? This is point number three, the means. The means. And I want to focus on three things here. A new relationship, a new vision, and a new standard. Verses 12 to 16 again. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, at this point, maybe you're thinking, Chris, this sounds a lot like effort. It sounds like a lot of effort. It sounds like it's on me. Where's the grace? I never said that sanctification meant that the believer was a passive bystander. We must strive, we must strain, we must push ahead. But all of this is grounded in the grace and power of God. Amen? Salvation is his work from start to finish. The work that he has begun in us, he will bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And yet the new covenant promises a new heart, new power, and a new disposition toward the Lord. And the evidence of this is seen in our striving to become more and more like Christ. So the means, number one, Christ has made us his own. We have been arrested and obtained by Christ. There's a new relationship. How do we persevere in the faith? How do we run hard after the Lord? How do we grow in our conformity to Christ? How do we grow in our knowledge of Christ? Christ. (laughs) Christ. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And again, I would argue that this is the key verse in the entire passage. This verse is everything. Take this verse away and we have nothing. Is there any pursuing of Christ if he hasn't first pursued and obtained us? Say it in Spanish. No, of course not. So again, I want to focus on the last part of verse 12, the phrase, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul uses the verb, this is a good one, catalambano, which means, are you ready? To grasp, to lay hold of, even to capture, to gain control of someone through pursuit. In the latter sense, I believe, is what Paul intended here. Paul had been apprehended or won by Christ. Paul had been attained by Christ. He had been pursued by Christ and captured by his matchless beauty and wonder. And this moved him to continue pursuing perfect holiness and perfect fellowship with his king. Sanctification could not and would not happen without this. This precedes our sanctification. It must. This grounds it, the fact that Christ pursues and lays hold of us. What grace, amen? Like Paul, we were the running dead. (laughs) We weren't just the walking dead, as some Bible scholars have said. We were the running dead, enemies of the cross, and running away from God. And yet God, in his grace, laid hold of us through his Son, arresting our hearts, 
opening our eyes, giving us new life by the Spirit to embrace Jesus in faith. And now, everybody saying now, with new hearts and new power by the Spirit, we pursue Christ and seek to know him fully. Paul wanted to know Christ fully because he had been fully captured by Christ. He was enraptured in the grace, in the mercy, in the love of Jesus. This relationship, which he did not deserve, its grace, transformed his life. He was in the arms of the king, no longer an enemy, but a friend, and more than that, a son, child. It's our relationship with the Lord, initiated by the Lord, that leads to an ever-increasing desire to know the Lord more and be more conformed to Him. Next, forgetting what lies behind. By what means do we grow in Christ? Forgetting what lies behind. Paul refuses to bask in his previous successes as an apostle, as a missionary for Jesus Christ. He's not motivated by his past so much as he is by the future hope of resurrection, knowing Christ fully and being fully conformed to him. So I'm a soccer player. I know I don't look like it anymore. I used to be a lot smaller, like here. And so I remember my senior year, probably my best game was against Livingston. And this was pretty cool. So I was maybe, I don't know, five yards in front of the 18-yard box, Ball's passed to me. I have a defender right behind me. I step over, fake him out, move left, and then boom, and the ball just curves upper 90. And I was like, you know, in high school soccer, you just kind of, yay, and you run back. I was just like, yeah, did you see that? I was so pumped. It was like, whoa. Now imagine if I would have just taken off my jersey, run to the sidelines. Guys, the game's over. It wasn't over, by the way. It's done. Somebody call ESPN, top 10 tonight. Did you see that? Coach, we can go home. People would say, are you kidding me? It's not even halftime yet, bro. But I think we do that as Christians, right? We, we look at our past successes and we think, we've arrived. We've done it. God, did you see that? I must be good. No. After a success in the ministry, you may be tempted to pitch your spiritual tent as if you've arrived, right? You look around and say, ah, yes, right? It doesn't get any better than this. Woe unto us for such an attitude. The verb for forgetting is found in the present tense and thus denotes a what? A continuous or ongoing action. Paul continually refuses to look back. Again, we can look back and say, thank you, Lord, Thank you for using me to disciple that brother and to evangelize that unbeliever, but I don't look at those things and place my confidence on them for right standing, right? Again, that's when you you mix the two. My only confidence, my only assurance is in Christ, in his perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection, and my trust in him, enabled by the Spirit of God. I look back and I rejoice, sure, but I don't look back and base my hope on those things. That's dangerous. You know, this could also refer to past failures. I think the enemy uses those past failures. You, hey, look at what you've done. 
You can't be right with God. Look at what you said. Look at how you treated your wife. There's no way God could forgive. No, don't, don't listen to that lie. Our only hope is what? Christ. So let's look ahead to that final reunion when we'll see him face to face. And our salvation will be brought to its intended goal, knowing Christ fully and being fully conformed to him. And this brings us to the next point. Keep your eyes on the prize. I know it sounds so cliche, but it's so true. Keep your eyes on the prize, which is beholding Christ and life forever with him. That is the key to our sanctification. I would argue that the key to our sanctification is remembering our glorification. Look to Christ. Paul's not looking back. He's fixated on Jesus and what is his in Christ, that future final reward. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize found in Christ and associated with the future resurrection refers to this state of moral perfection, full conformity to Christ, the believer's glorification by beholding Christ in all his glory. You know, Philippians chapter 3, Philippians 3 is pretty interesting. Paul takes us on this journey, this redemptive journey from justification to sanctification and finally to glorification. And again, the key to our sanctification is striving for and looking ahead to our glorification and more specifically to the author and the goal of our glorification, Jesus Christ, in the eternal privilege of beholding his glory forever. There's a new book out. Uh, I think I stole, I'm kidding, I paid for him. But the two copies that we had, Deeper by Dane Ortland, and he argues in this book that sanctification does not happen by doing more or becoming better, okay? Sanctification doesn't happen that way. That's the world. Just pull yourself up by your moral bootstraps and get after it. But it happens by going deeper into the wondrous gospel truths that washed over us when we were first united to Christ. He argues that we go deeper by casting our gaze deeper into the Son of God in the Word of God. We are conformed more and more to Christ as we fix our eyes on the Son of God in the Word of God. Amen? So where are you looking today? You know, I love the Puritans, John Owen. Listen to how he put it. John Owen wrote, A due contemplation of the glory of Christ will restore and compose the mind. It will lift the minds and hearts of believers above the troubles of this life and is the sovereign antidote that will expel all the poison that is in them, which otherwise might perplex and enslave our souls. Get it, J.O.? Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the key to all of this is beholding Christ and his glorious promises in his what? In his word. And then lastly here, we're talking about the means. Hold true to what you've attained. Everybody say, hold true. Hold true. A new standard. Verse 16, only. Whenever you see that word in the Bible, underline it, 
circle it, mark it. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. This is perseverance language. The verb hold true comes from the Greek word stoiko, and it's found in the what tense? Present tense. And it means to live in conformity with some presumed standard. The gospel gives way to a new way of living, a singular focus whereby the believer strives for knowing Christ fully and being fully conformed to him. This is our prize, and we strive for it now in the power of the Spirit. Church, we must continue to hold God's word ever before us and seek in the power of the Spirit to live in accordance with that divine standard. Keep your eyes on the Word and keep in step with the Word. Number four, last point, the reason. The reason. Why sanctification? We pursue the perfect because the perfect has pursued us. Amen? We pursue the perfect because the perfect has pursued us. Four things quickly here that ground our sanctification. Number one, because Christ has made us his own. It is both the means and the reason. This phrase is everything. Why run after Jesus in the full knowledge and likeness of Christ? Because we're his. We belong to him. We have been conquered by his love and his mercy and his grace in the gospel. Formerly slaves to sin, now slaves to God in whom true freedom is found. And we must realize that the power and the strength to persevere in our sanctification is found in a new relationship with our new Savior King, Jesus Christ. In him, we are sanctified. Next, this is our prize. Why pursue this now? Because it's our prize. Every athlete runs toward a goal or a prize. Ours is eternal life with our Savior King, Jesus Christ, face-to-face fellowship with him forever, full conformity to him forever. This is ours in Christ, secured and promised by Christ, and therefore we pursue it now. Amen? We don't run aimlessly but with our eyes on the prize. Why sanctification? Because this is Christian maturity. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. This is Christian maturity, being sanctified. Lethargy and sluggishness have no place in God's kingdom. Some within the Philippian church had likely slowed down from a run to a walk. No longer attenders, active, but bystanders, spectators. Paul is calling the church to a different mindset, a different way of life, a singular pursuit of striving, pressing on, straining towards knowing Christ more, and being conformed more and more to him. Adults, right? I mean, if you're an adult, say, I'm an adult. I'm an adult. Adults don't revert back to baby talk, diapers, or milk from a bottle. We have matured, and we are to live as mature adults. For the Christian, maturity is seen in striving towards knowing Christ more and being more like Christ. And then lastly, and this is like the, uh, the duh, of course, why sanctification? It's God's will. And if it's God's will, we should what? 
We should want it. We should desire it. Verse 15b, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. According to Paul, this is how we should live and think in accordance to God's will. God's will is that we know Christ fully and be fully conformed to him. And this is what we should pursue now with all our strength that he is working in us. Actually, it's not our strength, it's whose strength? It's his strength. Paul is saying, believers, if you're not thinking and living this way, God will reveal it to you in his word. God graciously means to correct us by his what? By his word. When we veer off the path of righteousness, God in his grace means to bring us back by the Spirit of God, working through the Word of God in the context of the people of God. Listen, we're not saved by pursuing Christ, but rather we are saved to pursue Christ. It's true. We're not saved by pursuing Christ, but to pursue Christ. Justification precedes our sanctification, and both are to be seen as God's grace. He declares us righteous in his Son, and by his Son, he sanctifies us, and one day with his Son, he will glorify us. Have you been justified? Are you currently right with God? Trust in Jesus. Amen? Trust in Jesus. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you can do nothing to save yourself. Admit and confess that he alone can save you. Because he lived the perfect life that we could not live. He died the death we deserve. He rose again. Only in him, by trusting in him, can we be made righteous. Are you being sanctified today? Look to Jesus, the Son of God, in the Word of God, in the context of the people of God, the local church. I I went to grad school seminary in Washington. I'm sorry, not Washington. Goodness. Boston. And I climbed Mount Washington. I was on break, and my friend Matt Ramsey, who's a member here, and one of my schoolmates, Brigham, we decided one weekend, we're going to go climb Mount Washington. It's the highest peak in the northeastern United States. What I didn't know is it's a very dangerous climb because the weather changes dramatically. People die all the time on that mountain. We didn't know that. We just said, hey, we're going to do it. We saw a moose on the side of the road. I thought, hey, that's a good sign. No, I didn't. I thought it was cool. We get there in T-shirts and shorts, and by the time we get halfway up, the temperature had dropped by 40 degrees. We were ill-prepared. We were suffering. But I flipped that switch. <laughs> I said, we're not turning back, boys. Let's go. Let's get this. Here, I'll make us some clothes. So I killed a bear. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> what was nice and what motivated us is a father and a son were coming down. And I said, guys, you're getting close. You're about halfway there. Yeah, we know. Thank you. You know about what's up top, the end? No, man, there's a a shack up there, and they serve hot chili. What did you say? Hot chili. You can rest. They have warm drinks, hot cocoa, coffee. Did you say coffee and chili? My two favorite C words? Man, it was just the motivation we needed. So we're we're tired, we're freezing cold. The son and father are laughing at us like, man, you guys are idiots. But we had chili on the brain, and we began to hike 
We encouraged each other. We finished. We almost died. But we got to the top. We got our bellies full. We rested and we headed back down in tears. I just thought, you know, what a great picture of the church. I needed these brothers, Matt and Brigham, and they needed me to persevere and to finish. We just kept reminding each other, chili, oh, coffee, right? The prize lies ahead. Let's keep going. And then I got Brigham, and I got Matt. No, I didn't. I was kidding. (laughs) But we kept reminding each other of the prize ahead. Church, we need each other to persevere in our sanctification as we what? Long together for our glorification, stirring one another up by the word of God to seek to know Christ more and to seek to become more like him. Amen? Hey, four quick practice steps, and then I'm going to pray. Number one, pray for the church's sanctification. Amen? Pray for the church's holiness. Pray that God's people at Kelty's First Baptist Church would seek to know Christ more and seek to become more like him. Number two, practice your sanctification by faithfully beholding Christ in the word of God. The godliest believers I've known Believers who are faithfully and joyfully progressing in their sanctification are faithful students of the Word. Be in the Word. Be in the Word. Be in the Word. Who wants to be sanctified? Who wants to mature in the faith? Be in the Word. Be in the Word. Be in the Word. Because in the Word, you are going to behold the glory of God in the face of the Son of God. And you're going to long for Him more. Amen? Number three, preach the gospel to yourself daily. These are all P's, by the way. Wink, wink. Preach the gospel to yourself daily, reminding yourself of what Christ has done to bring you to himself. The gospel fuels our sanctification. And then finally, part ways with anything holding you back from knowing Christ more and being conformed to him more. Part ways, get rid of anything in your life that is holding you back from knowing Christ more and being more like him? Is there anything slowing you down as you race toward the finish line? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful and encouraged by your word today. I thank you that before this morning, that God, in your grace, you have worked in my own heart through your word. And I pray that you would do that now in the hearts and lives of your people that we would realize that, God, your goal, your will, as Paul tells us in Thessalonians, is our sanctification. And that you give us the means. You give us the grounds. Father, you justify us, you sanctify us, and you will glorify us. We know that all of this is your grace. Help us to not get these things mixed up, to not look to our life for right standing, but to your son's life. And I pray that we would keep ever before us the prize, eternal life, face-to-face communion with King Jesus, full conformity to him, knowing him fully and being fully like him. And I pray that we would strive for that now in your strength and for your glory. And I pray, Father, that we'd be aware of brothers and sisters who are walking in this race, who have fallen down, who are sitting down, spectators, no longer involved, no longer actively pursuing you. Father, help us in your grace to go to them, to speak your truth to them, to call them back 
to help fix their eyes on Christ by taking them to your word. And Father, as a church, help us to run this race together because we love you and we want to honor you because you are worthy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.